Let the word go The first. challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s is a pioneering program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of shared values. Sixty years later, we examine our divisions, our connections, our shared pains and successes in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Study after study documents the number of Americans who participate in most organized religions is diminishing. Most religions. The exception may be a surprise. At the turn of the century, Census figures estimated 134,000 Americans identify themselves as pagans. That number has increased tenfold to 1.5 million. That's as of this year. What exactly is paganism? Why is it becoming more popular? And does it share any elements in common with more traditional religions? Those are the questions we'll address in this episode of Challenge 2.0. So we're very fortunate to have with us uh, four wonderful guests who are going to share their wisdom, their experience, their perspectives on this. And first, I'd like to introduce Kat Gina Cole, who is a witch, a psychic, and an author. Uh, Lorelai Hewitt, who is a Norse shaman. Uh, Kitty Caveat, who is a psychotherapist and witch. And then Liam Meter, and he practices the Norse traditions. And we're going to get more into all of this as we get started in this program. You know, I was interested as I was preparing for this to do a little bit of research and just look up the term pagan and paganism. And I'm first, I might ask each of you, is that an acceptable term? Is that a term that you feel is accurate uh, and comfortable for each of you? In my community, pagan is acceptable. Okay. And Kitty, how about you on that? Yes. Um, pagan is a comfortable term for a lot of folks in my community as well. And I think it's helpful because it, in some ways it points to what we're not or what what associations we don't um, mm. include ourselves in. Well, let me begin then with this question over and above that one. And that is, I think people have a lot of associations that they make, uh, preconceptions of pagan traditions, paganism, heathen uh, traditions. Uh, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you are faced with? And whichever one of you would like to begin with that. Liam, I might ask you to start us off on that. Um, one of the biggest misconceptions that I see that people make about pagan practices and the different denominations that there are out there is that it is somehow dark and evil and demonic in its nature. And it it really paints um, a really bad picture of what pagan practices are and what we actually believe because 90% of us don't, and my understanding, don't believe in demons or evil and those types of things. We believe that people can be evil, but not in the sense of how modern religions and more mainstream religions view those types of ideas. Yes, I also think of the pagan traditions as being the nature traditions. And I think one of the things that people are drawn to the pagan traditions for is our deep spiritual connection to nature and to the spirit of nature. And it is a very wonderful, lighthearted 
um, practice. Mm -hmm. Historically, we're shown a lot of images or given a lot of stories around um, scary things, scary witches who needed to be burned or somehow punished. And we think about who tells the stories. Often it's Mm -hmm. those who were doing the burning or harming. Um, But like Lorelai was saying, those people who were chosen to experience harm in the name of, say, being a witch or being pagan, often were, in fact, just utilizing tools available to them through nature, Mm -hmm. um, using medicine and other healing techniques. And that clashed with a lot of the sentiment of the time. I have to agree, you know, um, but here's the thing. It's kind of a tongue twister. This is the biggest misconception I think people have is that not all pagans are witches. Uh, Paganism is a religion to some and not to others. Uh, Paganism is very much an earth focus, you know, about the earth, about conservation. A lot of times if you say you're pagan, they think you're a dirty hippie, (laughs) you know, um, things that, you know, you got to be a deadhead if you're pagan, those kinds of misconceptions, you know, and not every witch is pagan, conversely, you know, and that kind of tongue twister sort of goes on. So those are some of the misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all the shall we say, wisdom, traditions, and old paths are pagan. Mm-hmm. Bulk of them are, but not all are. And yeah, they kind of think that you eat children or something. And God forbid you mention the word witch. And it's like, whoa. I would like to ask each of you as we sort of move along and expanding our understanding is could you share us share with each of us, and I know this won't do justice, but each a little bit about your personal faith traditions and practices? Well, in the Nordic tradition, one of the things that distinguishes say, a Nordic shaman from a South American shaman or a First Nation shaman um, are the deities that we observe, that we honor, and the books that we gleam our knowledge from, the Eddas and the Sagas. Also for divination work, we typically will use runes. And it's a little hard to see in this, but the runes are something that I use for divination work. They're, it's an alphabet. Each letter has an energetic meaning as well as a phonetic meaning. And you have stones, rocks that I will toss out onto the table and read the energetic story that is woven to me by the placement of the runes based on your question. A lot of times when people will come to my table, because I do this for a lot of psychic fairs in the Northwest, they will look at that and go, whoa, that's kind of scary. I don't know if I'm brave enough to do this. Until I explain to them, they're simply letters. So when people see things that they don't understand, often the first response is one of fear, I've noticed, until mm-hmm. you can explain it to them, and then they go, oh, okay, all right. So I also practice some of the arts of seid or sever, as they're called. Um, and it comes from a place of deep animistic spiritual practices with a combination of polytheism. And basically, the biggest and most important thing within my practice and personal 
connection to it is the veneration of the land vether. So the vether are spirits of the earth, which are charged by our gods to come down and teach us and guide us things and help us understand the world around us. And there's there's uh, land vether and then there's house vether. And both of them are, in a sense, ancestral spirits. So the connection to understanding ourselves and having that deeper connection to our spiritual understanding is one of the deeper aspects of Norse paganism or Norse polytheistic animism. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of people getting into Norse paganism and a lot of people learning about it, they tend to focus heavily on the Eddic texts which is great for base knowledge, but then they kind of miss the boat on deeper spiritual connection. I was um, educated by my great grandparents from Iceland and Norway on Mm -hmm. the practice and the traditions because they, they live literally in their culture. They live it every day. It's just commonplace and it's not considered a spiritual practice to them. It's just considered what they do. You mentioned a uh, text, and I'm thinking just for the understanding of our viewers and uh, listeners, uh, maybe just explain what those are. So the Eddas or the Eddic texts are a series of poems, skaldic poetry, that were written down in the mid to late um, 1100s by mm-hmm. Snorri and Sigfrid Sigverson, and there's quite a few poems that have lots of wisdom in them and lots of uh, folklore and uh, fable tales about our gods and their triumphs and the things that they have done um, covering the Assyrian gods, the Vanir gods and the Thurser and the Jotner, as well as some of the other beings within the pantheon, as far as what magical beings and races there are within our faith. So there's nine um, worlds of lore, and within that, there, like I mentioned, there's the race of Jotner or giants, which has different classifications in it, which is the Asir, which is the highest level and highest class of the Jotun gods. And then the next one down from that is the Vanir, which are more of your earth-based um, deities, more, more connected to that deeper spiritual knowledge and wisdom. And then there's the Thurser, which are ancient primordial Jotun gods that natural disasters and things like that they're mentioned in the edic tales and then there's also the elfner which are our ancestors and a specific race of beings known as elf mm-hmm. and both an a instead of an e and then there's the dwarfner and then there's also lots of other cryptid type creatures within the spiritual practice mm-hmm. kitty uh go ahead and outline for us if you would uh what it is that you follow and practice, I find it fascinating that you're a psychotherapist uh, and then you also integrate your belief systems into that. Uh, give us a little bit of information and background on that, if you would. Yes. Um, so like many folks in the United States, my background started with um, being encouraged on one hand, we could say perhaps forced or expected to show up for a particular re- religion growing up for mm-hmm. me that was Southern Baptist Christianity. And I started to pick up along the way, some of the ways that that didn't feel good to me as a person mm-hmm. and some of the inherent beliefs that didn't resonate with my spirit. And those include um, some of the expectations of women as opposed to men's positions in the church. And even 
even a little deeper as far as encouraging us to separate from our body and from our senses. Um, and, you know, e- including ex- calling things that are natural sins, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took some time after um, those young experiences and also after going through some really hard, hard times in my life, I was atheist and that worked really well for me. But actually through my own trauma healing and through my own somatic healing journey, so coming back to a space of safety in my body, through that, I was able to then connect with um, things outside of myself after being able to connect with myself. So that's where I started to work with energies, deities, um, spirit guides, ancestors, and I help others to do the same, right? To be able to reconnect with themselves and then to connect with anything they want to connect with. Um, what that means for me is I'm an elemental witch. I also am a comedic witch. So I do work with the Egyptian pantheon, um, mm. Egyptian gods and goddesses, and I am a shadow worker. So the, the really, the underlying premise of my work is looking at the parts of our human experience that are easy to want to look away from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a simplified definition of shadow work. So things like our trauma Things like um, the parts of ourselves that maybe we've been told are too much or are evil. Um, And instead, you know, how can we spend time with those parts of ourselves, integrate them? And it does tend to align really well with mental health, right? Because so much of mental health suffering can come from rejecting parts of ourselves, rejecting memories or past experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, yes, witchcraft, um, my spiritual practice and shadow work really blends so nicely with mental health and mental health treatment. And Kat, how about your experience? Well, I was family trained by my mother and my grandmother. And um, I was also raised in the Salvation Army Church uh, because mom was a Christian mystic and grandmother was more traditional. Mm-hmm. And so that base really and it for me it was a pleasant experience but i have since had non-pleasant experience in the abrahamic space mm-hmm. um and i know many who have and um so it kind of gave me an inter interfaith kind of base mm-hmm. you know? and in my practices it's about being eclectic as far as a witch is concerned and if there's energy that you need from a blade of grass, your job is to, your skill set is to be able to work with that natural energy and use it to benefit. Like using the energy of the grass to help call rain, various things of that nature. You know, we water seekers down here. We need you sky people to understand. We need to, you know, have you nourish us. So those are the natural types elements of, you know, when you talk about being a nature path, you know, those are the kinds of things that um, in my tradition that we focused on, but also on the etheric in the psychic world, the spirit world, the deities, you know, and for us, it was more in the psychism, um, talking to the spirits. I could talk to the spirit of that blade of grass. I could talk to 
my dead great grandmother if I wanted to, you know, whatever it happened to be, or the spirit of Odin, per se. Mm -hmm. And so that psychism was always very integrated in everything that we did. And I have since come to understand that a lot of that is energetic manipulation. You have to be able to work with the natural forces, and that means all of them, the atmosphere, thoughts or things, that's energy, and be able to move and work with all of that. So I'm only limited by my choices and my beliefs in what I can do as a magical practitioner. Participation in most what we'd call traditional Abrahamic uh, faiths has been declining, uh, at least in organized religion. The participation in uh, paganism, as it's uh, identified by the U.S. Census, has been increasing. Uh, I think it's rated as 1.5 million uh, now, I might ask each of you, what is it from people's lives do you think is drawing them in the direction that each of you are involved with? Individuality, not to be oppressed. That's a big movement in the world these days. Not to be oppressed, not to be traumatized, not to be told that how you feel and how you work is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, in my work, I really try to help the individual identify who they are first, what their real core beliefs are, and then get them to select a religious path or spiritual path that fits that as opposed to, oh, I'm going to choose this path and then I'm going to change myself to fit that path. That hardly ever works. Right on point with Kat. Um, there's, there's a lot of lack of sense of connection and deeper understanding and spiritual growth within the mainstream Abrahamic faiths. And I think that because the pagan religions are more set with that animist type center and more focused on actual spiritual growth and development of getting over your traumas and working on yourself and accepting yourself for who you are, the good and the bad. I think that opens the door um, in a very large way to people who are feeling very persecuted. They're feeling very closed Mm -hmm. off by the mainstream religions and they're feeling boxed in and pushed into a corner and being told that their behavior, their thought processes, the things that they experience on a very personal spiritual level Mm -hmm. are wicked and evil things because let's face it the abrahamic faiths don't really understand when somebody has natural born abilities to tap in to speak with spirits or to hear the gods or other entities that are out there or even see them they don't understand it and so immediately it goes to judgment persecution because paganism is so vastly different or accepting i think Mm -hmm. that would be different Yes, absolutely. And and this is where, um, especially as like a trauma-informed practitioner, this is where we start to get into social justice coming into our practice, as well as like decolonization. Um, because in the oppression of communities, especially indigenous communities, um, we are encouraged to separate or disconnect from the land. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, especially if we're taking advantage of the land's resources or again, create like harming directly the people of that land. And that, that creates a separation both systemically um, and in innerly, inwardly for each of us. Um, so something like paganism, or for a lot of us, as we've talked about animism, right, believing that there are spirits in the trees, believing that um, there's energy to everything around us, and we can be intentional with that energy. That helps us reconnect, especially if you happen to be a white practitioner like myself, it helps us reconnect um, to those indigenous roots and practices that have long been here before my ancestors were here. Lorelai, I know you have some uh, definite perspectives on that, too. Uh, what's your sense of that? I do think it's very interesting to notice that the rise of the pagan traditions has highly correlated also with the rise in feminism and the power of the mother, the goddess, the power of women. In mm -hmm. the Abrahamic traditions, it's been very patriarchal. Women have not been allowed to be enlightened. We have not been allowed to participate in this service. We've not been allowed to lead the service. We have been um, actually condemned and punished if we even show too much of an interest in that and the desire to have a divine connection with someone. But it is something wonderful about having permission to have your own powerful divine connection. And you can go outside in nature and do that. You can drop into a trance and you can do that. And I also think that the honoring of the natural holidays, the solstices, the equinoxes, this changing of the seasons is another aspect of getting in touch with nature and the changes of nature. It has nothing to do with any um, deity, with any person. It's simply honoring the nature and us, we are earthlings, we're affected by the changings of the seasons as well. Based on what we're seeing in terms of uh, neuroscience and quantum mechanics and physics, are there aspects that you've seen with that that seem to resonate with your tradition? Absolutely. I see so many things like on social media that oh, science just figured out that trees talk to each other or something like that, right? And my my comment is always, I love when science catches up to us. <laughs> yeah, um, to bring in some science, especially around a really common um, condition around heart disease. So heart disease is is extremely rampant in the United States. It especially affects women and people of color um, at higher rates. And the science has shown us that this is in part because of the stress hormone cortisol, mm -hmm. uh, which is at a higher rate in those populations because of higher stress, um, higher senses of danger. Um, and it takes a whole toll on the entire body. What I love is again, something like holding a a crystal, something like touching a tree, which we call co-regulating or petting a cat. Um, these things have an immediate effect on those neuroreceptors and can actually immediately regulate them so that the cortisol is kind of called off, right? If we think about the body as an alarm system, like call it off. And, and it helps us have better oxygen flow, have better um, circulation which goes to different parts of our brain. And 
And again, this is all happening while maybe I'm sitting in meditation mm-hmm. um, or while I'm connecting with my deity. And, and so it is absolutely present and parallel. Um, so with the development of all these new uh, technologies and spectrographs and um, digital imaging and things like that, that can pick up energy waves and all the advancements that we're making within this, the fields of like neuroscience and th- stuff like that, it falls heavily in line, especially with the animistic viewpoints of Norse polytheistic animism, because when we take a picture of the root system of a certain species of pine trees that have a certain species of fungus interconnected with the mm-hmm. root system, creating a neural pathway that has 25 times the amount of neurological pathways that the human brain has in it. And the whole forest is alive communicating and talking to each other. It ties in very heavily with how we view the parts of the soul. Mm-hmm. And if you want to break it down to a scientific level, all a soul is, is an energy marker. It's an energy field. It's a wavelength of energy and light that has memory tied to it. That's all a soul is. So when we see these things on camera, it's absolutely fantastic and amazing because it brings validity to the things Mm -hmm. that we know based off of our practice. Well, I really appreciate the double slit experiment in quantum Mm -hmm. physics. um, Articulate. Um, how important it is to be responsible for how we see things mm-hmm. as viewers and mystics when we when we are doing divination work um, are we affecting the change in a person by um, telling people what we see or are we seeing what is going to happen does that make sense what is the difference between manifestation and intention we're not quite sure mm-hmm. to be honest And I would like to add, today we have all been sharing our stories and our perspectives. We might even say we've been offering our energy outwards and that the listeners and viewers are receiving that energy. Mm -hmm. And speaking of physics, you know, there's this idea that energy cannot be created or destroyed, but it changes. So Mm -hmm. I wonder how our viewers and listeners are going to take the energy that we've offered and transform it and shape it into what they need it to be. That's a wonderful way to close this discussion and to leave people with some food for thought. I thank each of you for participating in our program. And again, thank each of you for watching and listening to this program and hope you'll join us again next week.